Real Fun DC. Hospitality and a little bit of sass are always on the menu. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Hi everyone, welcome to Industry Night with me, Nikki Nellis on Real Fun DC. A quick introduction. Uh, I am Nikki Nellis. I've been covering the DC food and wine scene for the last 17 years. It started with the listareyouonit.com, an online e-zine that goes out to over 40,000 subscribers. We cover every food and wine event going on in the DC metro area. And yes, there are food and wine events happening in the DC metro area. A lot of them are virtual, but there is a lot going on. So you should definitely check that out. You may have heard me on Foodie and the Beast. We just celebrated our 12 year anniversary on air. Uh, that is a food and wine variety show that features me, the foodie, and my husband, David Nellis, the beast. And there's a lot of reasons for that. That plays both in the bedroom and both in the radio show. Uh, you may hear me sometimes on WTOP because I talk about what's going on in the DC food, wine, and hospitality scene. And of course, socially, because if you're not social, does it even happen at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S. That's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And now, Industry Night. So Industry Night was originally created as a deep dive show that I launched out of the Gorgeous Line Hotel on Full Service Radio, which unfortunately, due to the pandemic, like so many things right now, is on hold. Not the hotel, just the radio station. So I'm so grateful and fortunate that uh, Tommy McFly and Kelly Collis launched their Real Fun DC platform and invited me to be a part of it. So ta-da, here we are, Real Fun DC. And I'm so excited because today I've gathered really some of my favorite people. Um, they are all on a mission to feed the hungry in some way, shape, or form. And um, given what's happening with the pandemic, where food resources are stretched and there have been shortages, um, funding, access, getting to people, keeping people safe, et cetera, there's, there's so many layers out there that I really wanted to bring this group together to talk about their experiences and what's happening next. Uh, it's truly the 2020 challenge of feeding the hungry. So first up is Debbie Shore. She is co-founder and CEO of Share Our Strength and No Kid Hungry. Mike Curtin, you know him, uh, with DC Central Kitchen. And Eric Brunner-Yang, he's a chef, he's a restaurateur, but he is also the brains behind Power of Ten. So Deb, I want to start with you. Um, let's uh, just give a little background on No Kid Hungry. Sure, uh, and thanks for having me on, Nikki. Always, uh, always great to be with you. Um, so I'm the co-founder of Share Our Strength. We're over 30 years old. We're probably closer to 35 years old at this point. Um, and we're the organization, we're a national nonprofit organization. We're the organization behind the No Kid Hungry campaign, which its goal, which is as the, uh, as the name suggests, is to and uh, childhood hunger in the United States. And how have you gone about doing that in the past? What were what were your ways of activating yeah. all of that? So, you know, for many years, for like the first, you know, 20 or so years of Share Strength, we were very, we were focused on hunger, but we were very focused broadly on the issue. 
um, and our you know, our grants were you know uh, funding a lot of different kinds of programs that were contributing to poverty and hunger. And then about 10 or 11 years ago, we narrowed our focus on kids and thought really hard about what we wanted to achieve in the next 20 years. And so ending childhood hunger became um, the vision. And we put a stake in the ground. We said, you know, we're, we're not going to fight it. We're not going to decrease it. We're going we're gonna to set out to end childhood hunger, which is really a solvable problem because there's plenty of food, plenty of programs, and actually plenty of uh, agreement, right, on, fr from both sides of the aisle uh, politically on why it's important to feed kids. So we shifted from a, a really general hunger mission to focusing specifically on kids. And the majority of that strategy, Nikki, had to do with making sure kids had the meals they needed in school, where the food was available. It was already, you know, agreed upon in Congress, both sides, again, of the aisle saying kids need to eat. Um, and we had plenty of food, plenty of programs, uh, and, pl and, pl and plenty of services, but there were a whole bunch of reasons that kids were not getting the food. So the No Kid Hungry campaign is really in the business of understanding what the barriers are in every specific district, whether it's transportation barriers, you know, stigma barrier, and getting rid of that barrier. And so that's what we've been doing for the last 10 years, uh, and that's all pre-COVID. So now we've had a pivot since COVID, Okay, uh, we'll get into that. Okay, so that takes yeah. us to where we are now. For that brings us to the present. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, Mike Curtin, DC Central Kitchen. Let's get some background. I feel like everybody. I feel like everybody knows everybody here as far as what everybody right. does. But for the uninitiated, let's just talk about yeah. DC Central Kitchen, who you guys are, and what your mission statement is. Awesome. So thank you, Nikki, and congratulations on 12 years for you and David. That's, that's awesome. I've always loved going on that show. Uh, so DC Central Kitchen, we've been around going on almost 32 years now in DC. We're a social enterprise, food-based nonprofit. Uh, where we started was collecting food, gathering food that was going to be wasted, thrown away, repurposing that into healthy, fresh meals to send out to organizations who are helping folks actualize and become the people that they wanted to be on a, on a road to self-sufficiency. While we're doing that, the focus uh, has always been uh, empowering individuals to become those people they want to be. We do that through culinary job training, preparing people for careers in the industry, thinking that wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to make meals to hand out to people and people had jobs, had good paying jobs that they could sustain themselves, their families, and, and move on to, to these lives of self-sufficiency. And over the years, We've evolved to do much more of our own, um, not just feeding and training, the old teach a man to fish, give a man to give the person to fish, teach him to fish, but also uh, make sure there are enough jobs that, that these fishermen and women are able to get jobs and, and, and fish for their lives. Uh, and, and so we've developed a whole portfolio of social enterprise businesses, starting with catering, contract meals, and then as Debbie was just talking about, really focusing over the last decade on locally sourced scratch cooked school food, which is our biggest social enterprise, generating the most revenue to support our programs, but also creating about 80 li above living wage, living benefit jobs, mostly for graduates of our culinary job training program. Hmm. Um, well, you know, I think about your graduates right now, and I, uh, I don't want to jump ahead, but before COVID, I actually mm -hmm. had Kathy Hollinger of the Restaurant Association of Metropolitan Washington on to talk about the problem with the restaurant industry, which was there weren't enough 
people to fill all the slots in restaurants because it was exploding. And I always think of your program because it was such a no-brainer for people who trained under you to find careers in the food industry. And, and the, the evolution of DC Central Kitchen has been in lockstep with the, the explosion of the hospitality sector here in Washington, as, as you know, Nikki. And, and I, I say this often, and it can't be overstated, that without the, the incredible support and belief, you know, when Robert Egger, our founder, cooked up this crazy ass idea 32 years ago, no one, no one was buying this, but he was raking, no one was bagging what he was raking, uh, except the chefs like Eric and, and his brothers and sisters in the business. Uh, who really saw the value in giving that opportunity and saw the restaurant industry as as that that cornerstone industry of our economy, where everyone can really start and be judged by what they do and how hard they want to work. Uh, and so this will be the challenge, absolutely. And Kathy and I are talking this afternoon uh, about the future. Uh, like, wh where are we going to go? And and what are we going to do? Um, you know, what are the jobs going to look like? How many are there going to be? And so this is something that as... I'm going to stop you because I'm with you and we are going to get into that. I don't know if, if us as a collective can come up with the answers, but I, that is on my list of things to discuss. Sure, absolutely. Eric, let me get over to you. Hi there, babe. How are you? Hey, what's going on? So you're a little different in that you're a restaurateur, you're a chef, you've got your fingers in lots of pots, but COVID did start and you launched this program power of 10. Can you give us sort of like your history and how you wound up creating this? Yeah. Um, so I'm a, a chef restaurateur here in Washington, DC. Um, have a, multiple concepts. Um, some people might know Maketo or ABC Pony. And I also have two restaurants at the Line Hotel and Adams Morgan, brothers and sisters and spoken English. In honor of you, I'm actually sitting in the hotel today like we would normally do this show and yeah so you know dc um the lockdown happened on march 15th and by march 26th we started a program called the power of 10 initiative where essentially uh, my job is to raise ten thousand dollars a week um, to help create or sustain 10 full-time jobs and service a thousand free meals to any community in America. We started our program uh, with our first restaurant that we sponsored called Kane, which is a Caribbean inspired restaurant on H Street near my home. Um, and since then we've um, supported 40 restaurants nationwide and have serviced uh, almost a quarter million meals. Um, we're about seven months in now. And I think what started as kind of like an emergency response initiative is slowly transitioning probably into uh, a long-term uh, conceptual nonprofit, um, and that's what we're kind of planning on now as we kind of end this year and start rolling into next year. Well, I think what's interesting, and we can sort of get into COVID right now, is so Eric, for you, um, you were you were doing two things at once. You were not only feeding people in need, but you were providing valuable. Uh, financial resources to restaurants who all of a sudden had nothing. Yeah, my goal was to move faster than any state and federal government and show the power of community and the individual donation. And then 
leveraging, you know, our ability to raise money that way to start to get attention from corporate sponsors, et cetera. Um, and so we moved very quickly and, and reached out to as many people as possible. What we saw when the pandemic hit was just really this, um, everyone kind of, everyone, I'm saying everyone in our, my specific industry, trying to do everything that they could to help their staff or help their employees, you know, hundreds of thousands of people's laid off. Um, everyone had GoFundMes and set up, et cetera. And the idea of Power of 10 really started as um, trying to give people an, a platform, an idea to help kind of corral all of their fundraising ideas into something that could be more sustainable and long-term for them. And, you know, I talked to, you know, Debbie and them connected me to a lot of chefs when I first started um, to say, hey, you should try raising money in this manner. It'll sustain you much longer than getting these big lump sum donations, um, divvying them out, um, and then that was it. Um, but we quickly realized that we needed to prove that this could work. So I just started raising the money and just started writing the grants to the restaurants because I think, um, you know, people were in this kind of collective trauma. And then once we kind of got the ball rolling, um, I think people understood what we were doing. Well, it made a lot of sense. And so, um, Mike, let's go to you for a second. So you had all these fundraising things in play. You had food service in play. You had all these things happening. And then the pandemic hits. I'm sure it became very obvious to you that this was not going to be two weeks. So as, as we all came to that realization, right, we all came to it at our own time. Um, how did you figure out what was next? How are you going to keep the programs in play, keep your employees safe, keep uh, your trainees safe, get food into the hand? I mean, there's so many layers. How did you so, do Yes. Yeah, so, so layers is a good way. We're like one big onion that you just keep peeling back. Right? So um, the, the first thing we realized is we couldn't safely continue our job training program and our volunteer program. So we, we, we had to dramatically limit the number of people in the kitchen because we knew like first and foremost, although our focus, food had been our tool to, to do training and to create economic opportunity and empowerment, but now food had to be the thing. Before it, it, we had said it, it wasn't the, the end, it was the means to an end. Now it became the means and the end. And so we had to say, okay, we're going to, take our trainees, we're going to put them on hiatus, those we can bring on to work, we're going to do that, but we can't have, we can't, we're not going to be able to focus on that. We're not going to be able to have the, the 16,000 volunteers a year that come down and chop and slice and dice and cut with us, so we're going to have to focus on our staff, but the beauty is we were able to bring staff from our other, from our satellite locations, so once the schools went out, we, we didn't need all the people that were there, but people wanted to work, needed to work. So we were able to keep them employed by bringing them back to our production hubs and, and engaging in producing the meals. And okay, this is where things- I'm gonna break you first, stop you for one sec. I'm gonna come right back to you. We just have to take a quick break and then we'll come back to what your next steps were. This is Nikki Nellis, Industry Night on Real Fun DC. We're gonna take a quick break, but when we come back, we're gonna talk about how people are feeding the hungry during 2020. It's Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun DC. <sighs> Serving up thought for food. Now back to Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. 
And we're back. It's Nikki Nellis, Industry Night on Real Fun DC. You know you can ask Alexa, Alexa, play Real Fun DC, and then you can hear me and all the fabulous shows on the Real Fun DC platform. So if you're just joining us, uh, we're discussing the 2020 challenges of feeding the hungry. In with me are Debbie Shore of um, uh, No Kid Hungry and Share Our Strength, Mike Curtin of DC Central Kitchen, and Eric Brunner-Yang, chef and restaurateur and also the brains behind the power of 10. Mike, when we left uh, for the break, you were talking about how you were, I hate using this word, we need to come up with a new word, pivoting uh, to address all the different activations that um, DC C Central Kitchen was in the middle of. Sure. So, so as we, uh put our training program on hiatus, our volunteer program on hiatus, we're able to bring in staff who were not needed at the schools to our production hubs to, to do our meals. Um, th this is where things got really tricky for us because for years, um, we, all of the meals we produced were large congregate meals served sort of family style or cafeteria style, whether it was a school or whether it was a, a small nonprofit, a recovery center, or any other community-based program. And, and literally we, we had 48 hours to take those 10,000 meals a day that we were doing in one way and do them and add another few thousand to do them an entirely different way. So that, that was a, a monumental task. And I, 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 to this day, I'm still so in awe and proud of the team that has done that um, and, and done that seamlessly and just with this incredible panache and style and just dedication. Uh, and since then, we've, we've produced over 2 million of those meals um, we've added to our production and, and instead of just, in addition to meals, we've, we've seen a huge need for grocery bags, produce bags, fresh produce bags. So we've done hundreds of thousands of those. We've actually contracted out with a catering company that was dark to, to use their space to do that. We're now at the convention center producing those bags, again, able to keep people employed. But the cool thing is, and one of the economic ripples is because of these meals and the produce bags, we've been able to put about a million dollars into rural economies from Southern Pennsylvania to West Virginia to buy the products that are going in these bags and these meals. So we're, we're taking a lot of the philanthropy and emergency response money locally and making sure it's gonna have impact uh, further outside the greater Washington area. Mm -hmm. And Deb, for you, what, how, what was, where, how did you guys turn? What did you, because you fed kids in school. So, yeah, I mean, what Mike was, you know, what Mike was talking about is kind of a great lead up to our pivot uh, until we find a better word. We'll have to use the word pivot. Um, but, you know, like Mike, I mean, our, our you know, we're a national uh, organization working with, you know, thousands of school districts. And we had to do the same thing. And we had to figure out, you know, now all these families have kids out of school and they're relying on school meals and school lunch uh, and after school meals, which is really the bulk of our strategy, right? Mm -hmm. So we ended up, you know, again, just like, you know, the, the, the same challenge as trying to figure out the best way to do this. And so our, we, we kind of have a three-pronged approach pretty much. One is through our grant making. So, you know, we were thrilled to be able to grant funds to both uh, of our guests today. So DC Central Kitchen, Eric's program, and a lot of other chefs around the country that are doing similar to things that Eric's doing, you know, different, but but in the same fashion where, they're finding ways to help feed the community by bringing a few of their staff back on. Um, and we've been able to grant a lot of restaurants funds for that. But the, the larger effort for us 
is we've done about close to $32 million in emergency grants around the country to a thousand organizations that are feeding kids outside of school, right? Like right in front of the school where families can pick up food or the food banks or other community sites. Um, so the grant making is, is one big piece of our, uh, of our work. And I will say that, you know, last spring when all the kids came out of school, we had only one way to feed them outside of the schools. Now schools are, some of them are back in school. So, you, you know, the hardest thing is this hybrid of right. some of the kids eating lunch and breakfast in school and others not. So that, that's a challenge. And the other, so, and the two other pieces I'd say to our strategy is sort of the technical assistance on the ground to help provide whatever is needed to, to help feed kids, whether it's, you know, PPE or refrigeration or transportation. And then the third piece, which is probably the largest impact that, that I'd say only because of the reach uh, that we've been able to do with a lot of partners around the country, not alone, but with our partners, is around the legislative advocacy lift that we've been able to uh, focus on. And so, you know, just really in the last package recently, um, we've been able to do two, I think, pretty important things for poor families. One is get what they're calling PEBT, Pandemic Electronic Benefit Transfer. So for families that are using SNAP, right, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program funds, and, they're no, and their kids are not in school, they don't have, you know, they're not getting the breakfast and the lunch. So in order to supplement those families with those funds, we've been able to get pandemic electronic benefit transfer money put right onto their card that pays for those meals. So that, that's a great thing. And then the second piece to that legislation is um, extending the waiver so that, because uh, I believe it was going to end in August. So now it's, now it's going to be available throughout until the end of the, um, until the end of the, of the, of the calendar year. We need to do more. We need to get it extended through the, you know, through the school year. And we're hopefully going to get, we're trying to get an increase in SNAP benefits. Families are, I mean, hurting isn't the word, the millions of families that are, that are suffering. And there's no real end in sight. So we're, you know, not, not, you know, trying to get ahead of that thinking and think about what families are going to need in terms of their SNAP benefits uh, in the long term. So those are, those are kind of the really big pieces to our strategy. Well, and so let me ask each of you, because I, I one of the things I, I find interesting about how everybody is doing things is access, right? So there's the access to supplies, to farmers, you know, food, the actual food, but then there's the access to the people who need it and, and getting in touch with them and making sure they know where to be or, or how to do it. I mean, it's, 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 there's no one easy answer, obviously, but there's so many things that have to be done to get the food from the farm to the person who needs it. I don't know how else to say it. You probably are all more eloquent than I am, but that's my question. How, how are we helping the people? Like I remember back in April or, or June, you know, they were showing celery farmers in California, you know, plowing it under because they had no way, you know, the distribution chain had been broken down. And so, and then there were lines and lines and lines of people waiting for food. So does that fall under you all? I mean, you have to get the food. So how does that work? Uh, well, I'll, I'll jump in, Nikki. Well, you know, the interesting thing is when we started buying local, this is a, this is a situation we saw, or we happened to put ourselves in the place to address in 2006. Um, and, and I first learned about the pro, the, the about it's called disking of fields and when a price drops farmers it's cheaper for them to plow their crops under 
and, and start to let the market respond so the prices go higher than harvesting and getting food to hungry people. This has been a problem we've been dealing with for decades. Uh, this pandemic has shined a, a bright light on that, like many of the other problems in our food system, our supply chain, and, show, and just shows how fragile uh, that is and how it is not at all equipped to handle the, the tension and the stress that something like this puts on it. So, so we've, I think we were in a good position to respond there because of the relationships we do have with farmers and we could put the, bring that food back into, in, into play. Um, and, and the other thing that we did, so we had that, that sort of supply uh, system coming, supply line coming in. And we also, we did see a tremendous, overwhelming, staggering almost um, outpouring of philanthropy. Uh, and, and while I, I really want to believe that we saw that because of this, of, of the, 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 the efficient, the hard work, the transparent work that we've done for 32 years, um, I also, we need to be honest and say, people just Googled food insecurity in Washington, hunger in DC, and DC Central Kitchen came up. And, and so people donated money to us, but we really believe that a couple things. That one, we wanted to be, uh, uh, you know, we wanted to, to honor the, the, the wishes of these donors and make sure that this money, these resources were spread throughout the community. So we reached out to these mutual aid networks that sprung up in every ward, to the small nonprofits often um, east of the river run by people of color that, that didn't get that philanthropy that DC Central Kitchen did. And we started much like Debbie um, and has done is a, a program of subgranting to these smaller nonprofits, food pantries, uh, senior groups that really could identify, like you say, identify needs in ways we absolutely couldn't. Um, so, so this allowed us to respond or allowed the community to respond directly and immediately now, but also, and probably more importantly, is hopefully create a more sustainable, uh, scalable ecosystem when we get through this. So if we got, if at the end of the day, there was a couple big nonprofits, No Kid Hungry, Share Our Strength, DC Central Kitchen, and Standing Strong and Tall, and no one else, that would have been a disaster. You know, so, so really, I think reaching out and, and engaging these smaller nonprofits and, and organizations like Eric's, um, you know, th th this will lead to, I think, a, a stronger, more resilient nonprofit sector, but also to the, to the first part of the question is to make, to, to, to hopefully the community will realize how, how, how fragile our safety network is and, and invest long term in, in making this, uh, avoiding the issues that we've seen over the last seven months. Well, to that point, I mean, Eric, since you're sort of, you're not newer to the game of charity because as a restaurateur and chef, you are asked all the time to contribute in a variety of ways. Uh, the chef community in DC is incredibly charitable and generous, but this changed everything you had been doing before. I mean, you're not used to writing grants for money to, for programs. So how did you, like, how did you start that process? But my question was, and I asked you this when you launched Power of 10, was how are you finding the people who needed to eat? How did you find them? Who did you work with? Because there are people who need food, but they don't know, they don't know where it is. Yeah, I think one of the surprising things that kind of came out of this was that as soon as we kind of just put ourselves out there, and, and obviously, I think for me personally, uh, I have a platform and I have access to resources that most people don't. And, and if I 
only use those to benefit myself. Um, I wouldn't be taking what's been put in front of us, which is this pandemic, um, and coming out at the end of it, um, having reflected on life or whatever and feeling like what, what things should be moving forward. You know, I have raised millions of dollars to open my own restaurants. So it's not, it's not that different, you know, to when you kind of put things next to each other. Um, but as soon as we kind of put the Power 10 initiative out there, everything just, you know, restaurants were reaching out, nonprofits were reaching out um, in terms of food gaps that they needed filled. Um, individual mutual aids were reaching out, individual people were calling and asking us for food. Um, and that's never stopped. Um, and so there was never a day where it was, oh, I can't find a restaurant that needs support and I can't find a group that uh, needs help with the meals. Everybody on this call was um, huge in helping us get going. DC Central Kitchen, Share Strength and No Kid Hungry um, really helped walk us through the way. We actually are, we are actually doing a program uh, with Share Strength and No Kid Hungry. Um, we've been supporting about 40 families um, now for six months, um, delivering a week's worth of hot meals and a week's worth of groceries to their door. Um, and we'll continue that um, for another 12 month cycle. So, you know, these 40 families and their households from five to 12 people a house um, for almost 18 months. Um, the last thing they need to think about is how they're gonna get food on their table. And I think that these little, we're a, you know, trickle up organization. And these trickle down organizations um, that we have close relationships with have been super supportive, just like Mike said, if, and which is almost identical to why we started Power of 10 was if I'm the only thing left at the end of this, we wouldn't have done our job um, to make sure that what we loved about a certain thing or loved about what we do, it wouldn't be the same love if we're the only thing left. So. I think collectively everyone really banded together, whether it was through information or whether it was through financial resources, restaurants banded together, nonprofits banded together. We're all celebrating each other's successes, talking about what's not working. Um, and the reality is, is we do this for the families and for the individuals. For me, we do it for the restaurants and for the families. Um, and that's why we get up, you know? Well, um, on that note, I'm going to take us for a quick break, but when we come back, I mean, we're all talking about these partnerships that have been um, put together because of where we are right now. I'd love to start talking more about next steps and what we, we don't have a crystal ball, but we're going to talk about the next couple months um, and what we see for the future of working together and fundraising and feeding those in need. This is Nikki Nellis, Industry Night on Real Fun DC. We're figuring out how to feed the hungry as fast as we can. We'll be back in just a sec. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun DC. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Real Fun DC. And we're back on Industry Night with Nikki Nellis on Real Fun DC. You know, you can ask Alexa, Alexa, play Real Fun DC. And you can hear me and all the other people who are on this fabulous platform. So today we are talking about the challenges of feeding the hungry in 2020. And given the pandemic and quite frankly, 
also uh, the politicians out there, feeding the hungry gets harder and harder and harder. Um, there was questions about whether uh, SNAP would still be available even during the middle of the pandemic. There always seems to be some concern that people who are hungry don't deserve the food that they should have. And um, it's very upsetting. So Deb, I know you can talk about that um, as sort of, you know, you guys are almost like a lobbying arm sometimes and you have that on your side. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, we, um, you know, when, we, we did really very little advocacy work for really like the majority of our life. But when we made this uh, shift to focusing on childhood hunger, we recognized that in order to really end childhood hunger and not, and not just provide grants, which was really the, you know, the original purpose of the organization, we're a grant maker. Um, you know, when we, when we decided to, to end childhood hunger, we understood that we actually needed to get involved. You know, you, you can't really end it unless you're involved in some policy and legislation. So we started to build that advocacy arm, and there are many, uh, you know, around in Washington and beyond that do that really, really well. That we learn from and that we partner with. Um, and when it comes to kids and and the, you know, the legislation that is directly related to kids and their families, I think we developed, you know, some expertise around that. And as I mentioned earlier, these two provisions that provide the, the the supplemental funding for families whose kids are not in school getting their breakfast, but they're getting that that money now on their card and the extension of um, that benefit through the school year and hopefully, you know, I'm sorry, through the calendar year and hopefully through the school year is, you know, is an enormous help for families. When we pre-COVID, um, we, well, when we, when we decided to focus on childhood hunger and we started working on that, there were uh, one in four kids that were struggling with hunger with families across the United States. Pre-COVID, we got it to one in seven which is a huge, you know, yeah, huge. A, a huge jump. And it's about a third less hungry kids in America. Now we're back to one in four. I, I, the only good news I would say, there's, there's no good news, but the only bright spot that I would paint, you know, is that we do have the relationships now working with groups like DC Central Kitchen and all the restaurateurs around the country and, and all the different partners who are delivering the program on the ground. Because of the relationships that we built, you know, over all these years, we do know how to get food to kids, whether it's in the schools or not in the schools now. So, you know, I, I do think we've built up the expertise along with our partners. The, the challenge is gonna be just, you know, remaining vigilant and focused like crazy on this because there are millions of families that are struggling and, and their first time, you know, struggling. They're going to food banks for the very first time, so. That's an excellent uh, point. I mean, not only do you have those who live below who have been living below the poverty level. Oh yeah, no, this is. Now we've got a whole new group of people who have never. Well, look, look at the had... restaurant industry. And right. you know, Eric can speak to this better, but you know, that industry with how many, you know, millions of employees living, you know, paycheck to paycheck or close to that, who have mm -hmm. lost their jobs. I mean, it's, you know, we haven't seen anything like this before. And so I'm grateful for, the local efforts uh, that like we have on this call uh, with Mike and Eric, and those are multiplied across the country because I, I can't believe there's a more generous industry than restaurants. I mean, here they are closing, you know, if they're not closed, they're at 25%, right? And they're looking for ways to help feed people in the community. I mean, they're incredible in that way, so. Well, I think it was Jose Andre who said that 
chefs feed people. They know they know how to do it. And it, I believe chefs feed people for a living. That's exactly right. For a living, they know how to do it. So when he went to Puerto Rico, he was like, I know how to do this. So he, you know, there's a there's an obvious a path to follow um, to eradicate hunger in this country, pandemic or not pandemic, the fact that we have such a surplus and it's not getting into the hands that need it is, you know, it's, it's disgusting, but also devastating. It's just horrible. Um, I want to ask about technology and how that plays now, because I feel like so many people had to create apps or, you know, communicate in ways they weren't communicating before, like there was so many twists and turns. How did that play uh, in what is uh, happening for you now, Mike? Um, well, I would say that one of the, in a specific response to this pandemic, um, Technology has really helped mostly with our Healthy Corners program. So this, this is a program we started about 11 years ago when we act as a, we're a wholesaler in essence to provide fresh fruits and vegetables, fresh cut, value-added products, healthy snacks to corner stores in the city's food deserts. Right? So, so um, you know, putting food into places that, that people said, people would say, oh, people in that, those areas, they, they won't buy fresh food, right? And, and if there is not fresh food to buy, these people will be right 100% of the time, right? It, 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 sort of, it sort of goes back to what you said earlier, Nikki, just a minute ago. If, if people don't have food, they don't deserve it. Is that, I think that's how you put it. And this is, this is something that we've been fighting against at DG Central Kitchen for years, that whole concept. You know, if, if you're hungry, it's your own fault. If you don't have a job, you're lazy. This is just not the reality. And, and we'll talk, I, I, I definitely want to talk more about that if we have some time in a minute. But, but, the, but we've created an app um, working with this uh, a group called Appian, so that that folks in the the areas, mostly wards five, seven, and eight, um, can get updates on what fresh food is going into their corner stores now, what the sale prices are, um, recipes, uh, you know, promotions that we're doing, different marketing pieces, events. Uh, so so this is really, and we're seeing these this these fresh this fresh fruits and vegetables fly off the shelves. The other thing we did during the pandemic is we reduced our price. Of these products by between 25 and 50 percent, so the so the 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 whole the retailers could reduce their prices but still make a profit, mm -hmm. right? And we could and, and like I said, I think since since uh, March we've sold over 200,000 units of fresh healthy food in these little teeny itsy bitsy sometimes 100, 200, 300 square foot corner stores, uh, and and the technology through this app, this Healthy Corners app, DC Central Kitchen, uh, um, on the App Store. Uh, has has had a great impact in that. That's terrific. Um, what about Eric? Did you need to use technology to launch your program? Um, I mean, we obviously like we set up a, a website and a way for people to make individual contributions. I'll I'll shout it out now. You know, you go to power10initiative.com. Mm -hmm. You can make a donation to buy a meal for us to cook for someone else. But I think that what I've really learned. Um, is the way we help people is especially in this country is just outdated in regards to how people that don't need help live so access to banking access to transportation access to information access to everything else that everyone above a certain threshold don't even think a part of part of their daily lives what i've really enjoyed about 
our program, specifically with um, Share Our Strength and No Kid Hungry, is the fact that the, the food makes it to their door. Just as if, if any of us was ordering uh, Instacart or Amazon Prime or Uber Eats, um, because, you know, if, you know, if you live in Ward 8 and you're unable to work and you have 10 people in your household and you're the person in the household that um, is the main financial caregiver for that entire house, um, but, you know, you have an elderly person or a lot of children in your home and you're not able to work, you know, for you to go to the grocery store, that takes two, three, four hours out of your day. You might be taking one, two, three kids with you, waiting for a bus at this point that might have, you know, 60% of its routes cut. Um, and, and on your way back, you can only take one or two, three bags of groceries with you. And that problem, outside of just like needing to have food, is the amount of time that you physically waste just to get it. Um, and I think that, you know, as technology and especially now you see corporate America and you see a lot of businesses talking about how they're going to reconnect with these communities of color and they're going to reconnect with these communities of poverty, the ability to give people time back is really essential. I think that the food is definitely key. The job training is definitely key. Treating people with dignity and humanity is key. And a big part of that is being able to have the time to be able to live the life that you need to live instead of living on a schedule that keeps you in this cycle that you'll never, you can't get out of because you're just wasting so many hours of your day. Eric, I think you've brought up some really good points that uh, people who don't live in poverty and people who are trying to help, right? If you've never been there, if you've never been without food, if you've never been without a job, and if you don't have a car and you don't have, you know, unlimited cell service, there's a lot of things you don't have access to. And walking, you don't even have to walk a mile in somebody else's shoes when you lay it out like you just did to, 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 to really explain that this is, hard for people and that there it's not as easy as we have it if you have never been there you just don't know debbie did you want to add something oh i no i was just um really interested to hear what both mike and eric had to say i'd say you know we we too have utilized technology in this pandemic to to try to help we've got an interactive map on our site for families to look and see where they're feeding site we've got a, a texting line it just texts food or comida to 877-877, and you can find out where there's a local uh, distribution site. And of course, we've been doing a lot of fundraising uh, on live stream uh, and you know YouTube and Twitch and all those channels as we're not doing events in person. So we're using technology in a lot of different ways. Well, I was just gonna talk about events because we're gonna have to wrap up in a couple of minutes. Um, you know, Taste of the Nation is a national event. You guys do it all over the country. Plus you do smaller events as, as a big fundraiser. Chefs, you have thousands of chefs who participate. Um, what does that look like for you guys right now? Yeah, I mean, last March, right? March 15th, we shut everything down. We didn't know how long it would be, but come April, we realized that we're not gonna have our events in May, June, July, or August. And mm -hmm. now we're looking at, you know, next April, May, June, and July. So our, our in-person events are canceled. Mm -hmm. um, that's a lot of revenue for the organization, but we have 
started to do a lot of things online. I just, we just did a dinner in Boston that was really tremendous. I just watched the video. So it was, you know, our local folks talking about our strategy in Massachusetts. We had some of our national folks talking about the national strategy of No Kid Hungry. We had on a principal from one of the schools, they were talking about, you know, what it means to, you know, feed kids in school and, and outside of school, why that's so important. And then we had, a, you know, we had a mixologist on and a chef doing a great recipe and we had all the ingredients delivered to our donors' houses so they could you know, uh, learn the recipe along with him. And it was, it was a really great hour. And we raised, you know, not, maybe not the same as we would have raised in person event, but we raised some good, good funds. So I think we're gonna take what we've learned from that and figure out how we can replicate that around the country because our, our, our chefs and our donors still wanna to get together. We just gotta to bring them together on, on, on other ways, right? So Zoom, yeah. is, Zoom is the place these days for that. Absolutely, as, as we are right now. And Mike, right. Capital Food Fight, you guys have decided to roll with it, but you're rolling with it in a completely different way. Yeah, it's going to be virtual, and I, I think it's going to be it's going to be fun. It, it's not going to be nearly as as you know raucous and as badass as it has been over the last many years, particularly at the anthem the last two years. Uh, and, and but we're, we're we're focusing on two things, and and neither of them are raising a ton of money because that that is not the focus right now. The first is maintaining this community uh, that that we have built the, the community that has supported DC Central Kitchen, our work, our mission, our social enterprise ventures over the years, and also. And, and this is the big thing, is the, is the restaurants. You've mentioned it earlier, Nikki, that th this, this is the most giving, dedicated, compassionate group of, of uh, industry group ever, period, that's it. Um, and they're hurting right now. So we're doing the, the, doing the little that we can, trying to support those restaurants. Uh, everyone has always donated to our events. We're paying for everything that happens this year. For all the, the food providers, we're trying to push uh, more business their way. We're going to be doing a really cool uh, concert style uh, tour t-shirt that will have a really cool iconic imagery of DC on the front and on the back it will have every single restaurant that has ever participated over the last 17 years in the food fight and all the proceeds that's going to be on bonfire coming soon and uh, all the proceeds are going to go to the restaurant association metropolitan uh, workers relief fund uh, and, and any anything that we can do throughout the event will, will be to again um, inspire folks to support this industry that we all need so desperately and that our, our economy and our communities need desperately. I, I couldn't agree with you more and I want to unfortunately there's so much more to discuss but the uh, show is over so we will definitely circle back in a couple months and um, and uh, see where we all are. Uh, just very quickly um, Eric had to leave I guess but Mike uh, just give everybody your uh um give everybody your uh uh website and where they can find you sure you can always find dc central kitchen at dccentralkitchen.org you can't come down and volunteer but you sure can join us be part of what we're doing we can't wait to see you again excellent deb tell us for no kid hungry how we can get involved and where we can find you Deb, I'm mute. Sorry. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> just as simple uh, as Mike's, it's uh, nokidhungry.org. Excellent. Okay, and Eric, where can people find Power of 10? Uh, you can uh, follow us on our website, powerof10initiative.com, or at the Power Initiative for Instagram. 
Excellent. I want to thank you all for joining me today. Everything um, you're doing is so incredible. And uh, I, I tear up because there's so much out there. So there is plenty of ways for you to participate uh, in the DC metro area and nationally, whether it's No Kid Hungry, DC Central Kitchen, Power of 10, there are so many people who need your help. Um, so thank you for joining me on Industry Night on Real Fun DC. Next week, we're going to talk about restaurants some more because that's what I do. I have Allison Cook from CORE coming on. She's going to talk about restaurant design and what that looks like in 2020 and 2021 and beyond. Thanks for joining us today. Please mask up. Please use your hand sanitizer. Go vote and have a delicious week. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis, Real Fun DC.